You are listening to Fan Holes, a Transformers comic book science fiction and fantasy podcast made for the fans by the fans. You Homo sapiens and your podcasts. Okay, folks, thanks for coming back and joining us here at Fan Holes. A lot of good stuff to talk about this week. All kinds of stuff. We got Second Coming, which is a X-Men event in the comics. We also are going to go over Adventure Brothers. Um, it's a great show on Adult Swim I hope you may have seen. Uh, for our segment we get entitled Someplace Cold, we'll be talking about a friend of ours named uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, favorite scary movie. Basically, we're just going to talk about our favorite scary movies. Easy as pie. In our little segment called For the Future, we're going to go right into Scream 4, which I'm sure you've heard about. Before we get into all that, we got to make sure everybody's here. I think everybody's here. Are we here, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, with the power of Earth. This is Tony, with the power of fire. This is Brian, breakdown with the power of wind. Uh, it's Mike, I'm Thunderwing, with the power of water. This is Justin, I'm Grimlock, with the power of heart. And with your powers combined, we are fan holes. Go, go, go fanholes! <laughs> ah, you can't bottle excitement like that. I am Magneto, master of magnet. <laughs> Come, ex chicken. Thanks for joining us again, guys. We're all here, ready to go. Um, let's go ahead and jump into second coming. I am not going to even lie to you guys. I have had a busy week. Didn't get to go over this as much as I should have. Brian's already put a hit out on me, so I will probably be dead by the morning. However, I know you guys are pretty familiar with the topic. Um, just go with like probably my uh, go-to comic guys, either Mike or uh, Derek. Just uh, take over and let everybody know what this uh, storyline was about. Well, Second Coming is basically a big X event crossover that's the culmination of a lot of different subplots going on in the various X-books, like X-Force, Uncanny X-Men, uh, Utopia, Cable. Uh, the the main crux of the point is you have the one mutant birth that happened post-House of M because Scarlet Witch got rid of all the, you know, no more mutants, and Hope is that one birth, and they were basically doing kind of a lone wolf and Cable type story over in the Cable <laughs> ongoing, where... He takes the child under his wing and is transporting through the future to try and keep her safe. And this basically picks off where that series ended, which is they've stopped Bishop from, you know, trying to assassinate her. And now they've returned to the present, which, of course, creates all kinds of pandemonium with all the anti-mutant groups that are waiting for her to come back to try and assassinate her as well. So you've got all the good guys, you know, all the new mutants and X-Men and different people like that trying to keep her alive. And you've got all the, basically the worst of the worst, you know, of the the enemies of, of mutant kind trying to take her out. Oh, okay, cool. I think, the only thing I can remember about this, I remember reading somewhere that Cable's kind of a jerk in this because sometimes he comes off kind of like a good guy, sometimes he comes off like a bad guy. That's the only thing I really remember 
seeing about that. Is is that pretty true, Mike? Is Cable really nuts in this one? Well, you know, he comes off like an overprotective father, which I guess is, you know, exactly what he should come off as because, you know, he spent, what I don't know, Hope is what, like 16 years old in this? So yeah. He spent like, like 16 years with her. So he's, ba- well, he is her father, more or less, blood be damned. So, you know, he, he doesn't come off so much as a jerk as, you know, just protective of his daughter, pretty much. Okay, cool, cool. Um, uh, I guess to, like, fill in a guy like me who didn't get a chance to really get that much into it, uh, like, what do you think about it, uh, Justin? Did you, like, is there anything you kind of saw that, like, was a little bit different from how Derek and Mike kind of see things? Is there any, like, little parts that you were just like, oh, that's really awesome or something? The thing I really liked about Second Coming was, to me, it felt like an old old school crossover, you know, event like kind of like Executioner's Song or you know Ex- Extinction Agenda or something like that. Because uh, really, I hadn't really read X Men since like uh, I guess when Joe Kelly was writing the book. Like okay. I didn't leave X Men just because they were uh, writing it. I just kind of you know life got in the way. I had some things going on, so I just kind of quit reading X Men. But uh, what drew me back was a lot of people recommended uh, Messiah Complex, and I thought it was really good. And then from there, I just kept on, you know, getting the different trades of like Utopia X and Nation X and stuff. And then, you know, somebody mentioned Namor was joining uh, the X Men. I thought that was really kind of a weird idea, you know, not because his status as a mutant has always been debated since the '90s, but just I didn't know if it would work. But it actually works really well. Like I like Namor and Magneto being part of the X Men. Uh, Imperious X. Yeah, Imperious <laughs> X. Uh, I, I think they like. I think it's like having you know Spike be part of the Scooby Gang on Buffy. It adds some much needed you know tension and drama. And, you know they they kind of do what they want and re, you know disregard everybody else. But I really like Second Coming and I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> he saw <but>, tacos. <laughs> What I really appreciated was, you know, there's some big characters who kind of take their dirt nap in this one. And what I liked was they didn't just die just just to sell comics. Their deaths kind of made sense in the story is what I liked. That's what I appreciated about that, too. It seemed more natural instead of just like, we're going to kill Colossus. Why? Because he's standing there. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it didn't well, feel forced. Or... The difference would be that you could tell that there's a lot of love and care placed into the characters, whether they kill them off or not. Like, because I, I always took it as when, when they killed Colossus that first time, it was kind of like Scott Lobdell was kind of like, I don't like Colossus. He's dumb. Let's kill him off. Whereas, you know, some of the deaths in this, they, they may be random characters or obscure characters, or they may be, you know, essential members of the X-Men, but you don't get the idea that anybody dislike the character they didn't kill him in like really horrible ways like <laughs> like i want to kill you seven times in this issue <laughs> well they were kind of violent deaths i mean but yeah. you know they they like what justin said it, it, it they mattered they weren't like shock value they made sense in terms of the story and like they didn't just get killed like just like pointlessly they their deaths meant something Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, on top of that, a lot of people that didn't die were horribly crippled and basically mutilated, too. So, I mean, you got the idea that uh, this was some, some serious shit going down, you know, for everybody, that, that, that a lot of people were in jeopardy and they could be killed, too. So I was, I was yeah. going to say, uh, the one thing I think that made this story feel really epic is 
like X Men, like their their worst enemy has always been like you know uh, prejudice and uh, that the fact that like humans will never accept them. And you know, Sentinels are basically the ultimate expression of that. And you know, Bastion is the ultimate expression of Sentinels. So he's like, you know, this is like the X Men's like worst possible enemy. And that just kind of felt epic to me. Like it felt like this was all on the line because the people who hate them the most were up against them this time. I know how we always like make fun of how Cable kind of has that kind of backstory where you can't just explain it to somebody in one sentence or whatever. And I, I think this kind of harkened back to old X school, you know, X Men old school crossovers in the same way. Because if you're not if you're not up to speed with all the storylines and characters, and you just kind of come into it flat, I, I don't know if Brian would have anything to say about it or not. I'm not sure how up to speed he was on all the X stories, but it seems like if you weren't up to speed on it, then you you might be flying by the seat of your pants. But like one of the things I noticed with Bastion was. Uh, they have the, you know, the, the humanity council is basically all these guys they, you know, resurrected and stuff, whether it was like Trask or Stephen Lang or, um, Stryker, all those guys. And one of the things I was thinking of is, well, Bastion is basically a fusion of Master Mold and Nimrod. But then Stephen Lang is one of the guys that's resurrected. And supposedly in certain comics, Stephen Lang is, to a certain degree, master mold. So I'm sitting there thinking, like, well, that'd be kind of like Galvatron resurrecting Megatron or, you know, kind of like yeah. you know, <laughs> Kang resurrecting Rama Tut or something. And you're kind of like, well, you know, in the back of my head, since I have all that, you know, miscellaneous X knowledge from, like, an old Marvel Comics Presents Cyclops story, I'm kind of like, well, wait, isn't he, well, he just resurrected himself, but not really, like, you know, that kind of thing where yeah. you kind of like get confused or whatever. And then, like, some of the things I noticed was, and this is not to rag on it. I think it was like a really well done event. It was very fast paced, really exciting. Like you, you were never bored when you were reading it, and it, it it flowed really, really well. But sometimes you'd sit there and you know you just wonder the same things that you wonder about all the the X Men comic book crossovers, like the the ones that Justin brought up, like Extinction Agenda or Executioner Song. Like I always thought those were kind of piss poor crossovers. But this was reminiscent of the excitement of the style of those where, you know, even as far back as like the Mutant Massacre or Fall of the Mutants or anything where it was it was a big event that sort of ran through all the books where basically all the characters were heavily, heavily involved in what was going on. And it makes a little more sense this time around to me because they're all on Utopia. You know, they're all centralized on the island. So it's not too much of a stretch that they're all going to be hanging out together, and Cyclops is basically, you know, the head general saying, hey, you know what, Namor, you look really pretty, go, you know, break that boulder, and, you know, Namor <laughs> might give some crap about it, but basically Cyclops is kind of in charge where he knows how to manipulate everybody to get done what he needs to get done, where he's like, well, look, just tell Namor that, you know, he's the only one who can really defend us right now and break that boulder. And then, of course, Namor's massive ego is like, ah, yes, yes, that makes sense. You know, so <laughs> he kind of has the situation under control. And and I, I thought some of those elements of it were cool. It was cool to see Cyclops kind of delegating and giving orders to even people like Professor X and Magneto and having them basically defer to him, kind of like, oh, you are... You know, nobody, people might be pissed off and they might be saying, oh, what, 
X-Force, roar, and getting all upset about it, but nobody really questions that he's the one in charge. <laughs> Listen up, Baldy, why don't you go get Cyclops a Sprite? <laughs> I, um, I also I also liked uh, that he was kind of vindicated in the end, like that new mutant signal started popping up, so like right. know, everything that he had done had like been vindicated at that point pretty much. So That's what I was going to say. Another thing I liked about it, like there was a lot of small character arcs or character moments like the whole uh cyclops and beast kind of having it out and uh you know when when everybody found out about you know cyclops was pretty much having x-force go out and kill people be like their covert strike force you know not everybody was cool with that you know especially beast and nightcrawl they were just like you know you know what are you doing cyclops what aren't you telling us but you know like mike said at the end you know i guess pretty much the ends justify the means well, I, I just, I always kind of was, like, upset about that whole, you know, like, especially, like, Storm giving Cyclops, like, the dirty eye about the whole thing, and I, I can only have one more beer with you, Wolverine, after what you've done type thing, because I'm kind of like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, I don't I don't have a list of everybody Storm's ever killed right in front of me, but it's like, I don't know, to me, I'm kind of like, dude, Storm killed Nashdrift at the end of Inferno, like, there have been periods where that group of X-Men that she led were just as bloodthirsty, you know, as X-Force had been and just as yeah. proactive. So I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of hard pressed to, to, you know, it's like, it, it seems like this weird silical cycle where, you know, basically what now they're going to have uncanny X-Force and then Cyclops is going to be, Hey, Mr. Killing's bad now, <laughs> you know, like it just seems like it'll, it'll go back and forth. It's like, meanwhile, you've got like Warren Ellis, you know, X-Men comics and things like this where you know Cyclops sanctioned it and you basically are sitting there going, okay, well, these guys basically want to wipe out all of mutant kind, so what's the problem with, uh, you know, taking it back to them a little bit? I don't know. I, I've always kind of thought that way, so that's why that's why I think, uh, you know, I get into trouble with people that are like, oh, heroes are always supposed to uphold the true and right and this and that, and, you know, somehow somewhere along the way killing to preserve your your life sort of got twisted into something where it's like, that's wrong. It's like, well, <laughs> dude, they've got a knife to your throat. Like, how wrong can it be to remove it? And, you know, oh, if it happens to go back into their throat, like, whoa, I'm not going to cry about it, you know? Stop defending yourself. <laughs> <laughs> They're defending themselves somehow. <laughs> uh, what about you, Brian? You've been a little quiet on this. You've just been uh, kind of in agreement with everybody saying yeah, I'm just soaking it all in. Um, pretty much every fan hole outside of you, Tony, had uh, recommended Second Coming to me. Um, and they were all saying all along, you know, it's like an old school X over. So if you like those, you'll like this. And yeah, pretty much I totally agree. I really like with how, um, how Cyclops is presented. Like he's totally like Derek said, like the master general. He's, you know, there with Emma Frost, keeping tabs on everyone and directing everyone behind the scenes kind of. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, also having not read an X book in, I don't know, a really long time, it was kind of interesting coming into this because like before, before second coming, I hadn't even known about utopia. So it was kind of a shock to see like just how hostile, like the United States was toward, toward mutants as the story is going on and how like they're basically forced to take sanctuary on this tiny little Island of San Francisco. So it was kind of good to get caught up on all that. That's cool. I mean, if, if it helps, even though I do feel bad about not being able to catch up on it, just from the small nuggets of information like Cyclops being not only capable but actually rising above a challenge, 
and the uh, stakes being so high. It does seem very interesting. I think maybe one of the reasons why I didn't get a chance to read was I did have a busy work week, but also X-Men for me got really convoluted at some point, just like Spider-Man. And I'm in the back of my head, I may have found it daunting just to jump in. But from the way you guys describe it, it doesn't seem like I would really be that lost. It would be like, you know, a few things I'd be like, hmm, okay, I'm a little bit out of it, but I can totally find some stuff to like reinforce the knowledge I need. But it sounds like it'd be, it sounds like a very solid story. I am, I am very, very, very much disgraced that I have not read this. Um, <laughs> there is one thing like actually did have kind of a minor problem with, and it's kind of like how Rogue's powers are presented. It's like in this story, she's almost treated like mimic. Um, and like I said, I haven't read an X book forever, so I don't know if this has been going on for a while. But it's weird because she could keep, like, you know, multitudes of powers, and it didn't seem like she had, like, a time limit where before, you know, eventually the effect wore off. Um, also, like, when her, Hope, and uh, Nightcrawler are teleporting across the country, like, Nightcrawler's getting really tired, and uh, Rogue's like, well, here, Nightcrawler, let me borrow your power, and I'll take a stress away. And I'm like, what are you doing, Rogue? Are you trying to kill him? Because, you know, most of the time, like, Rogue's powers put people into comas and stuff. So I didn't know if, like, her powers had changed somewhat or what. Yeah, um, it's not really the traditional Rogue, which, which unfortunately, like Tony says, it's kind of daunting. If Like, that, that's kind of what I was getting at with t- being a typical X-Crossover. There seemed to be a lot of non-reader-friendly things per se. Like, they, I think they tried to add certain things in the dialogue. Like, they tried to say, you know... Bastion sitting there going, hey, remember when the techno-organic virus revived all you guys so we could go out and kill muty scum? And they're like, yes, Bastion, I do recall that. So it's like, now you're kind of up to speed on all those guys. But right. didn't really. It, it, it's not as reader-friendly as, say, the Children's Crusade, the Avengers Children's Crusade, where, like, every five minutes there's a, you know, Jim Shooter-esque, you know, backstory where they're like, hey, if you don't know who Dr. Doom is, here's a two-page history of it just in case. Like, you know, and then now back to the story, you know, type thing. But, you know, I, I guess there's pros and cons of both ways there of storytelling. There was something I wanted to mention. There was a little editorial goof that I thought was hilarious. When the issue that I guess I'm going to spoil something here, but, uh, you know, the book's been out for a while. So uh, the issue when Nightcrawler dies um, at the end of the issue, like uh, when like Wolverine's team is coming home, and Colossus is all like uh, complaining, you know, Iliana is like missing in limbo or whatever. <laughs> got to find Iliana. Yeah, and like they come, they come there, and like they see that Nightcrawler's been killed. Well, the next issue, it opens up. Colossus is no longer there. He's in sick bay, and he's showing uh, Kitty, like he's with Kitty Pride, who's like stuck in some chamber, I guess, because she's like, you know. Turning invisible again. Yeah, she's permanently intangible now. But he's <laughs> he's sitting with her and showing her like DVDs or something, like like romantic <laughs> comedies and stuff. So I was like, he must have been like, uh, my little snowflake Ileana is missing, and my little Tovarish Nightcrawler is dead. Oh, my Netflix came in. <laughs> uh, well, he does love Julia Roberts. Uh, okay, I want to. I I am going to put you guys on the spot just to kind of maybe wrap this up. In one phrase, not one word, because one word would not do it justice, one phrase, what would you say to somebody to sell them on this story? Like, like you know, just anything that would, like, make me go, yes, I want to buy it. I already kind of want to read it now just by your descriptions, but, Justin, what would you, like, tell your friend to make them read Second Coming? I would probably just say, you know, it's basically a throwback to 
old school X-Men event crossovers, and also they beat up lots of Sentinels. Nice. Which always. is always good. Nice. Uh, how about you, Mike? What would you, what would, how would you sell this comic to one of your friends? It doesn't suck. <laughs> nice. That's sometimes all that needs to be said. Uh, what about you, Brian? What, what's your uh, tagline? The thing I liked most about was Cyclops, so I just would probably say you get to see Cyclops be pretty badass. Nice. That, that right there sold me on it, actually. Um, and how about you, Derek? Well, on, on along the lines of Cyclops, and then I'm going to just do something for Magneto, too, is even before Cyclops was vindicated, he has a moment where he basically says, if they come in and arrest me and you, Wolverine, right now, after everything we've done, I'd go to prison with a smile on my face. Because he knows what he did was was the right thing to do. And then uh, my my favorite moment with Magneto was there's a moment where all the Sentinels are busting down the doors. And Beast is kind of like, okay, I'm going to go out to fight them. I'll probably get killed. You guys stay in sickbay. And Magneto's basically like, no, 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 I'll go out and handle it. And they're like, no, you're too weak. You're too this. You're too that. And basically his one line is, Living through a Holocaust precludes me from watching the extermination of my race in a reclining position. So wow. that's nice. that's that's yeah. my cell line for for uh, Second Coming. Nice, nice. Well, like I said, I I do have to catch up on this. I should. I'll probably read it this week. Awesome. That yeah. I'm blown away. Smurfs don't lay eggs. Who won't tell you this again? You Papa Smurf has a f-ing beard. They're mammals. Moving on though, from comic books to the animated uh, realms. A lot of us are fans. Some of us haven't caught up with it a lot, but there's a show on Adult Swim called Venture Brothers. Um, just for a brief overview of what this show is about, it's it's very much a comedic show. It's not to be taken seriously at all, but it kind of goes with a Johnny Quest-ish, not really plot line, but theme. It's about these two young uh, kids. They're like in their teens, and they go off with their dad on these random adventures. His name is uh, Dr. Venture, amazingly enough. They are the Venture Brothers, Hank and Dean. And there's even the uh, trademark bodyguard strongman type. He, he was Race Bannon in Johnny Quest, and this one he's called Brock Sampson. Infinitely cooler. The show is really witty. It's got not just Johnny Quest throwbacks. It's got old animation throwbacks. It's got comic throwbacks. I mean, if you know a lot about, I mean, I hate to say this in such a blunt way, if you know a lot about geeky stuff, you'll laugh at this show. It's just, you know... So much win. Um, I know Justin. I know you've seen a lot of the episodes. Like, I mean, what what is just like how much how much could you gush over this show? <laughs> Quite a bit, actually. Um, like I said, it's pretty much a throwback to Johnny Quest, and that's what I really appreciate about the show. Because growing up, I was a huge Johnny Quest fan. Like, I went to school for Halloween dressed as Johnny Quest, and. <laughs> What irritated me was like nobody knew who I was. They were just like, "Hey, it's Halloween. Who did you dress up as?" I was like, "I'm I'm Johnny Quest." They're like, "Who's Johnny Quest?" I and went I was... as bulletproof vest one year and I had the same reaction. I just wore like a trench <laughs> coat and a tie. No one knew who the heck I was. It's so crime fighting time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really I really enjoyed all the Johnny Quest references and especially when Race and Johnny showed up later, and uh, you know, to me, Hank and Dean seemed like you know, Fred and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo mixed with, like, maybe just a little bit of, like, the Hardy Boys or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's other, like, throwbacks and references and stuff in there as well, like, all, you know, all the comic book references. And I really dig all of that. 
hadn't really followed the show, you know, as consistently as some of you guys, but you know, I've seen a few episodes here and there, and you know, I sat down this week and watched the first two seasons, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's one of those shows that when you get into it, you do get kind of locked into it because you're like, okay, I have to see what happens next. It's very serialized in a lot of ways. They do have a lot of ongoing storylines. I'm pretty sure Mike has mentioned this before, but one of the best things about the show is uh, Dr. Venture's arch nemesis, or that's what he calls himself, the monarch. Uh, I know you've got a bunch of favorite episodes, Mike. Like, what's, what are some of yours that like just really make you just you know have to watch over and over again? Oh, I was just going to talk about basically, um, like, I'll echo everything Justin said. It's a great show, and, like, I've got too much to say about it in general. So I was just going to, like, pick one my favorite episode and, like, go with that. And the, the episode title is Hope Floats. It's the uh, second episode of the second season. It's basically when everything starts to, like, get back to normal after, like, this first season's uh, finale, like, blows everything up. Um, it leads off, I'm sure anyone who's seen Venture Brothers has seen this moment. It leads off with the Monarch's henchmen, uh, 21 and 24, performing the, the Mars theme, uh, humming it, basically, <laughs> <laughs> when they're getting in the car, you know, the da, da, da. <laughs> that, that was, like, brilliant. And, like, that whole episode is just one funny moment after funny moment, um, like there's the part in when they go to the mall and the monarch like kidnaps his girlfriend and like there's like this little Superman parody when he's like carrying her and he's like can you read my mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he drops her by accident <laughs> and and then like uh, when when the mall fight gets busted up because a bunch of uh, mall cops come and the monarch's like shit mall cops <laughs> and like they all have to get out of there. And, um, is, is that the episode where uh, Doctor Venture loses an eye? Is like hanging out. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. <laughs> and my probably my favorite Monarch quote of all time is also in that episode when uh, the Monarch's uh, hive gets run like they hire a bunch of new henchmen and they're all like gangbangers and the Monarch's <laughs> hive like gets overrun by them. So the Monarch, uh, Doctor Venture, and henchmen twenty four and twenty one, uh, they have to take back the cocoon and all they have is a closet uh, full of uh was it 21's like collectibles and stuff oh yeah hulk so the monarch's yeah. using hulk cans <laughs> and like when they're, they're, i just love the delivery of this line when he's like gentlemen it is time to take back the cocoon hands in the center who would like to lead us in prayer <laughs> and when they put their hands in the center it sets off the hulk cans <laughs> it's a smash puny human <laughs> just uh i love that shit but yeah that's probably my favorite episode nice oh um i was uh actually not sure if you were very familiar with it brian are, have you been a longtime fan or did you actually just get into it for uh this uh podcast this week no i've i've actually watched it for a while um unfortunately i'd gotten out of it like i have the first two or three seasons on dvd um but before the show i was telling the guys that i'm glad we had this as homework this week because i restarted uh, ep- uh season one watching it for uh, the podcast, and I'm really enjoying it, so I'm excited to go through it again. Yeah, it's like a lot of good stuff. You, you're talking about, like, your favorite episodes. I, probably one of my favorite ones, and I will get to you, Derek. I just I just spark memories, like you said. You talk about such a great show. It just brings a flood back of funny things. I, probably one of my favorite uh, episodes, even though it's a very, I don't know, popular one, I guess you'd say, was I think it's a showdown at uh, what, what canyon? Like cut off, like 
Cutthroat Canyon or something. It's the basically the oh, uh, uh, Cremation Creek. Cremation yeah. Creek, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the end of the uh, second season. Uh, Monarch is getting married to Doctor Girlfriend, so she become Mrs. The Monarch. Um, and everything goes to basically hell. Uh, there's a guy called Phantom Limb. He's still pining for his lost love, Doctor Girlfriend, and he's trying to. Also take uh, control of the Guild of Calamus. It's a huge storyline. But the thing I really like about it was, the thing that just really sold me on it is, at some point they had a subplot where <laughs> they they uh, decided that the leader of the Guild of Calamitous Intent is David Bowie. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just like, <clears throat> there's this big showdown at the end where David Bowie actually reveals himself. He's been like a, a bird and all these other, like a face throughout the whole thing. And he just shows up in front of Phantom Limb and just very nonchalantly is like, oh, I'm David Bowie. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, it just, I don't know, it just made me laugh. Then he turns into a pack of cigarettes to save his life. I like all the David Bowie references. Uh, I'm a big David Bowie fan, so anytime they reference him or, you know, the, uh, the episode where they're trying to recover that sunken UFO and it's the flashback to like the 60s or something and, you know, the UFO's about to crash and he's the, the pilot's like, tell the action men. I'm happy. I was like, holy crap, was that a Major Tom reference? I was yeah. like, that's awesome. Actually, his name was Major Tom, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was Major Tom, and the action man was the action man. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. And it just, they, obviously, they loved him with David Bowie. Uh, what about you, Derek? Do you have, like, a favorite episode, or you just love the whole series? I think, I think it's hard for me to single out, like, just one episode, because every time I see it, I kind of love it. I, I remember I showed a good buddy of mine. Uh, who is now living in uh, in Nashville-ish area, but when we were both living in L.A. together, uh, I introduced him to the show, and he basically, it, it was kind of refreshing, because he, he basically just ate it all up, and he's like, oh, can I borrow the DVDs? And I'm like, yeah, sure, dude. And then, like, now he's basically, you know, a convert. Like, he's a faithful fan after, you know, having watched the season and stuff like that. I just love all the the references to... It seems like they really love old school Marvel, like 60s and 70s comics. You know, I love, love Dr. Orpheus. You know, he's like basically <laughs> the goofy ass, demented Dr. Strange of the crew. You know, it's always like, by the hairy hosts of Hagath, I see something in the air. You know, <laughs> it's, it's always all this kind of goofy, crazy shit going on. And, you know, Jefferson Twilight is basically just Blade and. You know, just just stuff like that where you're kind of like sitting there laughing at all these guys. I even think, uh, you know, uh, they, they had, um, you know, the, the what was it, the brown widow in the one episode where it cracked me up because he had the webbing coming out of his butt and basically like yeah. it's a stickler <laughs> with me because I hate the organic webbing. So like stuff like that always just cracks me up. And, you know, like all, all that kind of stuff is genius, you know. So I, I, I really appreciate the show. Um, I really like Ben Edlin's humor a lot. And he's been a producer and written stuff for, like, The Tick and some episodes of Supernatural and stuff like that. I, I don't know how to quantify it, but it always seems like his type of humor is, like, the type of stuff that just makes me laugh my ass off. And it's not exactly like that it's – I know you said it was, like, a comedy, but there's elements of action to it, too. And there's, like, elements yeah. just just comedy coming from the, the realness of the situation or the wittiness of the person or whatever – but I, I've always kind of enjoyed all that kind of I, – I kind of view 
you know, Venture Brothers humor is very similar to the humor in The Tick and very similar to kind of the some of the witticisms in Supernatural and different shows like that. So I would I would suggest, you know, another thing interesting that's like Hank and Dean. It's like you got, uh, you know, Dean in uh, Supernatural. So I start to think like, hey, do these guys like always have a brother named Dean? So they got to put a brother named <laughs> Dean in like all their shows or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, just weird stuff that occurs to me when I you know, sit through stuff. But I, I would say if you like something like The Tick and you've never seen Venture Brothers, like, I would check that out, you know. So I, I when you were talking about the uh, throwbacks to kind of like 60s and 70s Marvel characters, I assume that you're a big fan of the uh, Impossible family. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's all <laughs> funny, funny stuff. You know, basically the biggest jerk in the world is is Professor Impossible. And, you know, when they're – the Ice Station Impossible episode's hilarious because he's running around, the, the poor guy's on fire. And everything. <laughs> you son of a bitch! He's mentally incompetent and, you know, just that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I thought it was really, really funny. I, I, did, I did find it funny in Ice Station Impossible where uh, Mrs. Impossible, she's very hot. She's pretty much like Sue Storm. And she's coming on to Dr. Venture, and Dr. Venture's, like, getting drunk with her, and he's obviously attracted to her because she is hot. And she starts to come on to him more and more, and unlike the Invisible Woman, whenever she gets excited or she loses concentration, instead of becoming invisible, just her skin becomes transparent. <laughs> and he's about to, like, lock lips with this horrific, like, almost slim, good-body-looking <laughs> abomination. It's you like, know what else is a, is a genius episode is the the tag sale you're at one where, where Venture has, like, the big garage sale and everything. And I remember thinking, like, that that was one of the ones that cracked me up because they, they have, like, the lightsaber there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was going to say that exact same thing, Derek. Like, yeah. when um, Justin was recommending episodes or asking for us to recommend episodes for him to watch, uh, that was one I did, and Hope Floats was one I recommended it as well. But yeah, that lightsaber scene's awesome, where the yeah, when he's Star Wars kid, it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I also like when uh, Doctor Ventures like uh, I tried to sell it to the army, but they said we don't sword fight anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me of, like a great visual. There's one episode where there's this machine that can make you see your fondest uh, wish. And, of course, the boys get stuck in it. <clears throat> and then Brock goes in to save the day to try to, like, rescue them. And there's just this brilliant montage of, like, Brock Sampson riding Tyrannosauruses with ninjas attacking him. And he's killing, like, Nazi, like, dogs riding on sidecar motorcycles. And it's just a brilliant, like, homage to everything bizarre. And at the end, he's, like, in a loincloth with, like, an Indian headdress, <laughs> blood everywhere. <laughs> and it's just... The, the the imagery is just amazing in that show. Just the the animators and everything. They're just so brilliant with their concepts. I mean, like you guys were saying, you could you can't really name your favorite episode because there's ones you do like a little bit more than others, but you like them all. I mean, I've never... I can honestly say I've never seen a bad episode of this show. I mean, would you think that's probably about the best way to wrap it up as far as the nicest thing you could say about the show? Yeah, pretty much. You know, every episode has, like, you know, something good in it, at least one good moment. So that's all I can ask, really. We've been trying to contact you for days, Wolverine. Where have you been? Somewhere cold. Um, unfortunately, as fan holes, we do love to gush over our favorite things. We like to uh, give praise where praise is due. However, sometimes we have to go a little someplace cold. And that place tonight is in the realm of Bendis. 
specifically the Avengers. I I know Mike, Brian, Derek, Justin, you all have your various qualms about them. I will go into mine in just a minute. The only the only thing I will start with is Mike, do you think he can write a good team book? No. <laughs> That's all you have to say? No. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. Well, no, I, I remember I, I was trying to find like to research it, but I didn't have the time. But I, I remember back in the day when they were doing the ultimate line and he first was being, you know, billed as one of the star writers. It's like, hey, here's Bendis. He's going to write Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, and Joe Quesada and uh, they wanted him to write Ultimate X-Men, too. But he actually said, oh, guys, uh, I don't know. I don't think I'd be that good writing a team book. Like, let me just do the ultimate Spider-Man thing. And I, I think, I don't know, to me that speaks volumes because he knew what his limitations were back then, where he was kind of like, hey, I, I don't want to get too over my head, you know. But I think probably after the, the House of M paycheck came in, he just probably went like, ah, you know, screw this, and just uh, probably wrote whatever whatever they gave him, you know. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have, that, that's kind of how I took it, anyway. I have no limitations now. Uh, I think one of the things a lot of fans, who are diehard fans, kind of complained about was his choices for the Avengers lineup, especially like the new Avengers, like when it first started. A lot of people were like, why Spider-Woman? Because she honestly didn't do a whole lot for many issues except for be mysterious and have giant breasts. And... Well, but that, that that's his pet favorite character, so yeah. it'd be like if... If I wrote the new Avengers and all of a sudden Madcap was like in every every, every issue, you know, they made it. Right, I'd rename it New Warriors. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what's the point, you know? Like, yeah, but and also there's a lot. Uh, even though he, I mean, I will give credit where credit is due. Um, a lot of people at the time were questioning Luke Cage being involved. He has turned into a very reliable and believable character in his role. But, I mean, how did you first take it when it was like, and by the way, Power Man's back. Did you did you believe it? Do you think he could be an Avenger, or was it just... I, I think I was less less worried about Power Man being an Avenger than I was about Wolverine being an Avenger. I was always kind of like, why why are Wolverine and, you know, I don't know. that That's just me, like, you know, just beyond the whole reality of the situation. But, I mean, I, I don't know. That, that to me, it almost seems like old hat. Like, I tried to read all the current Avengers books, to, or at least the current Bendis run, to try and, you know, prep for this. And it, it just seemed like, I, I don't think he's learned anything from having written team books for, like, whatever it's been, like the last seven years or whatever. Everybody seems like they all have the same neurotic voice of Bendis, you know? It doesn't right. seem like they're different characters. It seems like there's, like, 18 different neurotic Bendises in the room, and there's a big, <laughs> like, crazy event going on. It's like, oh, look, there's a big, giant squid alien. Yes, squid alien, he's there. Boy, I hope my underwear doesn't chafe. Yes, Squid Alien is really going to mess us up. Oh, my God, the Squid Alien. Yes. Okay, I'm Spider-Woman. I'm going to do some, some crazy firmerones on the Spider-Alien. You know, and you're just kind of like, okay, like, that's great. But it, it, he reminds me of, like, like I, I had a good friend, and, and I love him to death, but he was the kind of guy where he would get bored with things very easily, but he'd take up, like, all these different hobbies. So you'd come over one week, and you'd go, hey, dude, what's that? And he'd be like, it's a trumpet. I'm all, do you know how to read music? No. I'm all, but I'm going to learn how to play the trumpet. 
I'm like, <laughs> okay, dude, that's great. I, I hope you get good at it or whatever. You know, like, that's awesome. A week later, so what's up with the trumpet? No, no, no. This week, this week, I'm going to write a screenplay. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> You know what I mean? And it would just kind of, you know, switch like every other week or, you know, to, to like something new, whatever, whatever held his interest. And I, I feel like that's what happens with like the team lineups. Like you talk about the people he chose for the original lineup in the new Avengers. I, I, I thought the lineup is always seems to be fluctuating. And even in this regular, I, I read like the last 11 issues of the current Avengers book. And even though the lineup supposedly is Bucky Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, and Hawkeye. It's like two issues into it. It's like, the Protector's an Avenger now. And it's like, who's the Protector? <laughs> it's Norvar, who was Captain Marvel. Okay, so now they got eight people. But then it's like two issues later, hey, let's call in Steve Rogers. I'm like, isn't he a secret Avenger? No, 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 we got to call Steve Rogers. Okay, now we've got like 12 different Avengers. So like it's the, it's, it's like, it's like they're trying to do the second coming crossover without crossing over into any of the books. But yet everybody's there. <laughs> and like I said, you've got 18 Avengers with the same crazy neurotic voices going on, and they all sound crazy. Wonder Man is busy getting triumphed. You know, he's acting like a big tool. But even <laughs> though he's acting like a tool, he's still smart enough to know that the Jack of Hearts is still a bottom-of-the-barrel superhero. Because <laughs> he's basically bitching about, like, the Avengers shouldn't be formed anymore. They're like, Avengers only hurts people. Disband the Avengers. Do it for Scarlet Witch. Do it for Wanda. Do it for Jan. Do it for Scott Lang. Hell, do it for the damn Jack of Hearts. <laughs> That's basically like his pitch, you know? And I'm kind of like, well, you know what? I, I, I don't know why all of a sudden Wonder Man's a big douchebag, but the, the only thing that I can give Bendis props for is that he knows Jack of Hearts is bottom of the barrel as far as superheroes go. <laughs> Last one named. <laughs> I, actually, it's kind of funny you're talking about Wolverine, Derek. I think one of the things that was kind of such an easy cop-out, it was like I think the first issue of the New Avengers where Cap and Tony are talking, and this is back when it was Steve Rogers still, like, you know, only, no Bucky Cap, and... Even Steve is like, well, I mean, do you want Wolverine? Why? And it was pretty much like you were talking about with like the uh, second coming where sometimes they have to make the hard decisions. But instead of Tony being like, sometimes heroes have to kill, they're like, sometimes Wolverine has to kill. And we could just let him do that and not take any of the flack because, you know, <laughs> he does that. They'll be cool with it, you know? Well, I remember I was reading the the – it was like the Frankencastle Dawkin rematch where they like fight for the second time after he killed Punisher basically or whatever. But the thing that made me like vomit a little in my mouth was like, <laughs> there's this, there's this thing where basically they're in Japan and they're tearing up the whole town. And there's like this little uh, homage to Akira where Dawkin starts getting all, you know, crazy, you know, Tetsuo looking or whatever, right? And in the middle of this, there are all these helicopters, you know, Japanese helicopters around. And they're like, you know, you know, don't worry, um, American Avenger on site handling the situation. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it, folks. The Avengers are it's like, here. It's like, well, the, the Wolverine's there. I'm like, that's it. It's like, oh, he's a, an Avenger presence now. You know, so I'm like, okay. It's like that I mean yeah, but that'd be like the end of the world is happening and everybody's like trying to scramble to stop this one bad guy and Star Fox shows up. Like, oh, Star Fox is here. We're good. We're cool. Avenger <laughs> presence on site. Jack of Hearts is in the room. 
Death Everything... Cry is here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. jacket at the door. <laughs> oh, thank God for you, Gilgamesh. <laughs> <laughs> or the forgotten one, depending on his, what day it was. Um, I, I think one of my biggest gripes I had was I the storylines kind of started to mesh together, but at one point the Avengers are all going over to Japan to confront the Silver Samurai about some random thing. And it was just funny because Doctor Strange teleports them there, and they all, like, you know, pop out, and they're like, ah, we're the Avengers, we're here. And literally, it was like a bad Twisted Toy Fair comic, and like, and suddenly, ninjas! <laughs> <laughs> and then they, like, beat up ninjas for four pages, and there's no storyline at all. And then when after they get done, they're like, all right, we still have to find Samurai. And it's like, you really were just killing time, weren't you? <laughs> My general complaint about Bendis is he seems to have, like, he always comes into things, like, seeming to have, like, a preconceived notion of who a character is and how they act, and he never bothers to research any further than his own notion. Like, the upcoming Moon Knight series he's doing, like, apparently Moon Knight's going to have multiple personalities of Wolverine, Captain America, and Spider-Man running around in his head, and, like, that makes me think... The extent of Bendis's Moon Knight knowledge was probably, oh, he has multiple personalities. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it feels like whenever I'm reading, like when he re- writes like normal 616 books, like when he writes Ultimate books, I could care less because those are his toys basically, and he can make or break them as he wants. But when he writes like the normal universe, it feels like I'm kind of reading like Marvel Universe Diet or Light, like the absolute <laughs> surface value of the universe. Or the characters. I mean, McDonald's like, Express. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't, you know, like he want, he, he was like in Secret Invasion, he brought Mockingbird back. He was like, oh, I didn't want to bring Mockingbird back. She's so cool. You know, her and Hawkeye are like Mr. and Mrs. Smith of the Marvel Universe. But when he brought her back, she didn't do anything. Like she's just always in the background. And, you know, she's like a, a friggin' wallflower. And, you know, when you, when you compare it to how like, like Jim McCann, right, Rotor, and like the Hawkeye and Mockingbird series, you know, like they're totally they're worlds apart. Well, yeah. but that's the thing. They, they, it's like who who was his uh, who was his his you know pet favorite was Spider Woman. So you have Spider Woman, you know, making the Wrecking Crew look like a bunch of douchebags and and jackasses <laughs> like falling all over themselves. And you know, to me, I was like reading that book for so long. I was thinking Luke Cage was like way more powerful than he actually was, you know, because I'd just been reading New Avengers for so long. And then I remember getting in a conversation with somebody where they're like, "Yeah, dude, I think Luke Cage is only." It might have even been on Bot Talk where they're like, "I think Luke Cage is only like in the two ton range." And I went, "Really?" I, I to me, I was like, "I don't know when they became a joke, but like somewhere along the line, just like Mongol turned into a jobber, you know, after like Flash, <laughs> and Green Lantern." kicked his ass so many times by the time he got to neuron he just like snapped his neck and that was it and you're like dude remember remember mongol he used to be cool it's like hey, remember alf Boggs? you know remember the wrecking crew? <laughs> you know like they used to be cool like what happened wrecking crew it's like wrecking crew still cool wrecking crew still cool you know there was one other thing that annoys me and he has characters like act stupid to fill space like you you'll have like Bucky Cap like saying like like in the recent um like the the first arc of the recent Avengers series the 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 regular adjectiveless Avengers 
Like, Bucky's like, who's Kang when Kang shows up? I mean, you know, yes, Bucky has been, like, brainwashed and stuff for years, but Kang also, like, blew up Washington, D.C. once upon a time, you know? <laughs> and on yeah. top of that, you know, the Avengers have files. You, you know, <laughs> you'd think he'd hear about this guy, you know? Kang is probably in the top five villains of the Avengers, you know? It's... You'd, you'd think someone would have told him, like, what Kang looks like, or, you know? Or even, like... um I think it was like at, towards the end of the first volume of New Avengers, and like they're going to find the hood, and the hood is like hiding out at like Count Nefaria's house or something. And Mockingbird's like, "Who's Count Nefaria?" And I was like, "I was like, that was like right around your era, Mockingbird." You know, uh, mm-hmm. Count Nefaria like kicked like the Avengers' asses like two or three times. You think you you know someone would remember that? <laughs> I think it's interesting you bring up Bucky Cap, and I just want to tie this back into Second Coming, because in Second Coming, the Avengers show up when the big force bubble is erected, and they're there to help, basically. And I don't know what it is, but the way, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to anything that Matt Fraction writes with them instead of Bendis, because at least there, it seemed pretty clear, like, Bucky Cap was in charge. And Bucky Cap wasn't clueless about everything. He he basically uh, saw, like, you know, Dr. Nemesis or whatever and is like, hey, I know you. And Nemesis is like, I don't believe I've ever met Captain America. And it's kind of like, yeah, I probably met you when I was Winter Soldier doing, you know, some hits or something shady, you know. And you're like, ah, yeah. that's kind of clever. And yeah. there's all that information there. But it's only in like one sentence and there's mm-hmm. no backstory. You don't have to go into it. But if you're smart enough, you can pick up on it. But in, in the in the adjectiveless Avengers that's going on now, it's almost like who is, you know, it's kind of like basically Tony and Wolverine and everybody are just condescending to him. It's like Bucky's like, who's Kang? And they're like, yeah, OK, Buck. Uh, you're kind of dumb, Buck. Like, why are you <laughs> just running around here, Buck? You know, and it's kind of like, you know, they just treat him like he's he's uh you know, firestorm green off the ropes or something. <laughs> you know, it's like Nova before he, he had his own, you know, his fourth volume and had the, the Nova force and all this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, you're Nova with a ponytail, Buck. You're, you're <laughs> ropes. Like, you're a young punk and you don't know what the hell's going on. And I'm kind of like, why? Why are they writing it like? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's just weird to me. It'll just get really bad when it's like they face the Red Skull. And he's like, who's the Red Skull? <laughs> What oh, what's the cosmic cube again? Why are we why are we why do we care if he has it? The only thing he really fears is just planes. Getting on planes. <laughs> like oh, don't put me on the wing, God, no. Brian, do you have any words about your fellow Brian? Um it's kinda hard to top what you guys have already said. You guys pretty much summed it up pretty well. Um the easiest way I can explain my own feelings on it is basically um most of the time reading Bendis' writing I feel almost like I'm listening in, like, on a group of, like, six teenagers talking at the mall or something. And <laughs> and for some books, that, that works really well. Like, Ultimate Spider-Man, he is a teenager. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's his character. But then when you read it where he's writing adults or a teen book, like uh, New Avengers and stuff, it gets really old really fast. Yeah. Bucky's like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say Bendis cannot write Thor to save his life. 
like in 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 the first arc, like uh, like Kang threatens them with like a weapon he like stole from Tony Stark in the future, and like Iron Man recognizes it as something like he's gonna build. Like he's and he, Iron Man's like, oh, it's a doomsday weapon. We better we better back off. And Thor goes, you've created a device that's only purpose is doom. <laughs> it's like, oh, so I, I what do you call it? Thor just repeats what everyone else has said, but in a funny way. <laughs> like I got some got some fresh doom here for you guys. <laughs> I think the the only thing that this has made me realize talking about uh Bendis, he is the only guy who probably is worse at prepping things than I am. Um <laughs> it's close, but <laughs> um yeah. Uh, we we should probably uh, lay off Mr. Bendis since he does make millions of dollars and he'll never hear this, so we don't matter to him. Um, it was good to vent though, wasn't it, guys? Just nice to mm-hmm. get get some oh, of that yes. get some of that anger out. Um, I, I still I was gonna say I still buy Ultimate Spider Man, so you know I'm still giving him money. Yeah, yeah I'll, exactly. I'll give I'll give him props for solo books. I I liked his Daredevil run, and I liked reading Ultimate Spider Man. The the only thing is I just uh, you know other than I think New Avengers Annual One and I, I was trying to think of something else positive to say about his Avengers run besides New Avengers Annual One the only other book that I thought was kind of well written but doesn't seem to make any sense in terms of continuity at all was there was like a free comic book day one shot that had like the Dark Avengers and you know whatever random assemblage of people they were calling the regular Avengers at the time. And I thought that was a pretty, at least it was a fun book or whatever, so. Jack of Hearts, Star Fox, and, oh. <laughs> um, and Wolverine, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know. all you need. What's there than me, Derek? I don't have anything positive at all to say about Venice's <laughs> run about Avengers. I mean, I, I, I hate it that much. I mean, you guys know I'm a huge Avengers fan. You know, I've followed the book for years, and I was excited when I heard he was going to be writing it because I liked his work on Powers. And then I sat down and read Avengers Disassembled, and I just I hated it so much. So <laughs> was it the art with the lack of bomber jackets or the writing <laughs> specifically? It, it, it could have used some more bomber jackets, but was it the lack of swordsmen? <laughs> that you know that hurt it too a little bit, but I just like I just figured yeah, like you right probably after- grateful that swordsman wasn't in, and he'd probably get like you know yeah black grave you know, you know, or something. Yeah. Hey Justin, how long did you actually stick around? Like once you realized how much you hated it, did you keep reading for a while? I read, um, even though I absolutely hated Disassembled, I stuck around. I was like, okay, well, I'll see where this is going to go, and maybe Hawkeye and you know Vision will come back at some point, and you know She-Hulk won't be crazy anymore or whatever. Um, but I actually read like the first, I don't know. Probably the first twelve issues of New Avengers, and mm-hmm. it didn't get any better from there. And you know, I I hate 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 Wolverine. I hate him. <laughs> so when I picked up Avengers New Avengers number one, and he was on the cover. I was like, oh come on! I was like, this guy's already in like half a dozen books a month anyway. You know, nobody has this much free time to get in as many adventures <laughs> as Wolverine does. You know, I can suspend <laughs> my disbelief, but I can only suspend it to a certain point. I just wish there were consequences for when people join certain teams like and this doesn't I'm not I'm not picking out Wolverine exclusively. It's like guys like Ben Grimm, Luke Cage, Spider-Man. I just wish if if they said they join one team, 
maybe there'd be a consequence like, oh, wait, I, I don't actually have the time to be on five teams. I'll just have to be on New Avengers exclusively from now on. And that means I'm going to have to say goodbye to all the X-Men and live in New York instead of San Francisco. Like, <laughs> if, they, if they actually had the balls to do something like that, like, you know, I would be impressed. Yeah, I think you said a similar thing about, you know, Spider-Man is now with, with the Future Foundation. Um, I would be perfectly okay if Spidey was like, oh, hey, guys, I can't be in this Avengers thing anymore. I'm, you know, helping out the FF since Johnny died, but, you know, that's probably not going to happen. I think, yeah, yeah him, him being on the Fantastic Four seems to make more sense than him being on the Avengers. Yeah, yeah totally. definitely. I just keep getting this, like, mental image over and over again of, like, Justin sitting in like a darkened room with just a reading lamp and putting down like Avengers disassembled, reaching over and grabbing a bottle of Jaeger and reaching over and grabbing a bag of tacos and like, <laughs> where's Bendis? <laughs> just, it must be done. Uh, let's tell for another time. What's your favorite scary movie? It's kind of nice, like I said, you know, to bash on things and kind of get out of your system and vent. But we do try to stay positive here. And one of the things I think most of us have at least some affinity for, some of us are bigger fans than others, everybody likes a good scary movie. It de- you know depends on what your uh, category is. There's some suspenseful thrillers. There's some just straight-up gore fests. And there's, you know, psychological kind of things. But everybody likes that one movie that, you know, honestly scares the hell out of them. Um, that was pretty much what we were going to go into this week because there is a scary movie we're going to be talking about later that's coming out soon. But right now we're going to talk about some old favorite ones or maybe even some more current favorites that we really dig. I don't really know who's the biggest horror fan here. I'm just going to go with somebody at random. Justin, uh, what do you think is probably your favorite scary movie? I don't know if I could pick just one. You know, Picking my favorite out of any category of movies would be very hard for me, so I would probably just give you my top five. Um and these are in no certain order, but probably the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite horror movies. Uh, I've always been a fan of that movie. I guess my next one, and Derek will hate this one uh, because it's a remake. I really like the Rob Zombie Halloween remake. Uh, I think it's a better movie than the original Halloween. I know I'll probably catch some flack for that. I'm just not a huge fan of the original Halloween movie, and I thought the remake was a lot better. Hmm. Um I've seen the well. Jamie Lee Curtis was pretty cool, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's about all I have on that. <laughs> um, uh, what, what are your other ones? You said you have a top five. Uh, I would probably go with the first Friday the Thirteenth movie, okay. and the original Nightmare on Elm Street. That's one of my top favorite scary movies. The original Nightmare on Elm Street. Were you kind of pissed that they replaced uh, Robert England in the new one? No, not really. I mean, I was disappointed, but uh, in Overall, I wasn't a fan of the remake, but I thought, you know, the guy who was playing Freddy, uh, I thought he did a really good job. There just wasn't much Freddy in that movie. That was the big downer. And most of the deaths and gore had, was stuff that had been done before. That's why I didn't really like the remake. Okay. Well, it was it was it was all about John Connor, uh, Impulse, and the chick <laughs> from uh, Supernatural or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And now some people that you kind of know. <laughs> um, <laughs> With Rorschach. <laughs> yeah, there you go. With Rorschach. <laughs> hey, did he blow up at the end? Um, <laughs> no. Would have been oh. a better movie if he did. What about uh, you, Brian? Are you a big horror fan or just scary movie fan in general? Um, Actually, I'm not too big of a 
horror fan. Um, I do like some movies, like zombie movies especially. Um, I'm probably one of the few people who li actually like the Resident Evil movies because I like all the action and stuff and seeing girls kick some butt. For my favorite uh, scary movie, though, I did pick one. Uh, I picked The Thing, which is a John Carpenter movie from, like, I don't know, 1981 or 82. That is a classic. Kurt Russell, yeah, Kurt Russell, uh, Keith David, Wilford Brimley, obviously. I think before he had diabetes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one, diabetes. <laughs> uh, I don't really care so much for like the cheap scares and stuff of most horror movies, which is probably why I don't like the uh, genre in general. But with the thing, um, the the thing I really enjoy about that is like all the psychological like tension between the people that are there. Um, the setting it's in Antarctica already, so they're already isolated. But basically, you have this alien that can um, take the form of, you know, anyone. So they have no clue who the alien actually is. And, like, as you watch the movie progress, they all become more and more paranoid, more and more distrustful of one another. And it's just really interesting to see their relationships break down through the course of the movie. Yeah. That's cool. You like, you like the more psychological and character aspects. Yep. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, what about you, Derek? You have any horror movie that still scares you to this day, or just one you just like for I, I the cheese? I was debating about the the scare part, so I, I kind of lean towards a horror movie that I, I really really like a lot. I mean, as far as things that scared me, I remember when I was five years old, the my uncle left me alone in a room with Alien on, and I was thinking it was going to be like Star Wars or something. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> people are in spaceships. This is going to be, oh my god! You know, and I was like, totally I was like five in a room like, alone in the dark, so that, like, kind of creeped me out, and, uh, you know, as far as things that, like, weird me out, it, it's usually more, I think these days, it's stuff that, you know, it, you know, a movie like, a Fincher movie, like, Seven or something might give me a head trip or whatever, or, like, I know Brian talked about John Carpenter, and the, he did a episode of Masters of Horror that I thought was really cool called Cigarette Burns, but as far as, like, my favorite, you know, I tried to pick just one movie, and so what I ended up going with was uh, Creepshow. And wow. Creepshow is a horror anthology film. It's directed by George Romero, and it's written by a lot of it is short stories from Stephen King. Yeah. And I, I've always really liked horror anthologies a lot. Like, I like, you know, I like Tales from the Crypt. I like Tales from the Dark Side. I like Monsters. I like Twilight Zone. I think, you know, one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes that probably did scare me a little bit was The Dummy with Cliff Robertson. So, like, you know, I, I just like all of those kind of short story type horror situations. And Creepshow uh, has basically five different short stories in it. And there's lots of uh, actors you'll probably recognize, but they're, they'll probably look a lot younger because this was back in 1982. So you had, like, Ted Danson pre-Cheers. You had, like, Leslie <laughs> Nielsen pre, you know, the Naked Gun movies. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, Adrienne Barbeau, uh, before she was doing Catwoman on Batman the Animated Series. And he had a really, really young Ed Harris in the movie. Uh, Stephen King is actually in the movie as one of the characters. And, it, you know, it, it's basically a tribute to comics like the old EC Tales from the Crypt comics. And the other thing I really liked about it was that it's one of the few movies that has a really, really awesome comic book adaptation. Like, you know how most times, like, when they make an adaption of the movie, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to get the 
cheapest, crappiest artist we can get because we've already <laughs> licensed property and we know it'll sell. And, you know, it's always like, you know, the guys they put on like the one shots or the annual artists or whatever, and it's not too good. But they actually got Bernie Wrightson to do the art for it. Oh, nice. And it was in this big sort of not super oversized, but it's like it's it's a magazine sized movie adaptation and you know bernie wrightson just does really draw macabre art type things you know everything looks kind of creepy and sticky and you know he did like a version of frankenstein where you could see all the sort of sinews and the muscle tone and all kinds of you know basically you know when when people come out of the grave in a bernie wrightson comic it looks really really cool so you know and you could see like the Bit and weird stuff in people's mouths when they open up and they're screaming and you know just that, you know all that kind of detail that's like creepy and icky and stuff like that so uh, that was something else that I you know really thought was kind of cool about the whole uh, the whole dynamic of the movie but the movie's great and uh, and it's got you know five different stories you know that are all you know Stephen King type stories and then when I was doing the research for it I found out an interesting little tidbit which was According to Ramiro, the Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, I don't know if anybody's seen that, but that's like another one of my favorite sort of horror anthologies, is that Ramiro claimed that that was basically Creepshow 3, but just sort of retitled. And there was a really shitty Creepshow 3 that was like released direct to video a couple of years back that was horrible. But the the tales from the dark side the movie was actually pretty decent and it kind of when when i read that i kind of went oh that that kind of makes sense so anyway uh that's my you know my favorite horror movie i guess that i picked to talk about for this podcast okay cool um i actually am familiar with a lot of these so far so i'm actually feeling somewhat well versed uh what about you mike are you are you in the same boat do you like scary movies do you like gory movies or do you like you know, just straight up sh- horror movies. Uh, I'm not really like a horror movie like connoisseur or anything, but you know, uh, I I don't like enjoy being scared. I guess, but you know, I can I like the the more like Brian said, like the psychological horror stuff or, or the things like not so much gore, but like stuff your imagination does to you. Although I gotta say, I think Derek, you'll have to help me here. Um, I think it's. The first Tales of the Crypt movie um, always makes me jump. The story um, when the dude dies in the car wreck and, like, his girlfriend brings him back. And, like, the whole tale is done from his perspective. And then oh, at the very okay. end. Yeah. yeah I, is that the first Tales of the Crypt movie? Yeah, I think it is because it's it's it's. I I remember he's when he he looks in the mirror and he sees his face. Yeah, or, when you I, every single yeah. time, even up till today, like I hadn't seen that movie in like ten years. That that when I first saw that, that gave me nightmares. But like when when you did your like history of comics on film on that, I was like, okay, you know, I'm ten years older, I can watch this now, and like <laughs> it still freaked me out. <laughs> but when he sees his reflection for the first time, but. Um, but on, I was going to say, aside from that, on like the psychological side of things, I really kind of like signs up until the end. Like w- when they only show you like I know everyone likes to it's it's fashionable to like, you know, rag on M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I thought he did a very good job of building like, you know, that horror just out of sight up until the very end 
where he blew it by showing the alien, and you're like, oh, it looks like every, you know, evil-hearted alien ever. Okay, well, now I'm not scared of it anymore, you know. When you could just only see the little glimpses of it, it was, like, so much more, like, scary. And also, the, uh, the weakness kind of sucked, too. It was like, no, not water. <laughs> a brilliant plan. You had to take over a planet that is 80% water failed. Yeah. <laughs> a one weakness. Where did we go wrong? I I always like I always think yeah like your they should let your imagination do most of the work and I think that's more like truly scary like nothing is scarier than what's like in the confines of your own mind so I like I like stuff more like in that vein I think that's true of of characters in general like with with I guess fan aura or something like that you know I always tended to think you know you can apply it to a scary movie and say like how masterful Spielberg is for not showing you the shark in Jaws but you're still you know, quote unquote, you're still freaked out and scared by it. But I, I think it also holds true to characters like, you know, Boba Fett or Darth Maul or something. It's like less is more. And then, you know, you've got like a, you know, four issue comic book with them and they look stupid, you know, because <laughs> you, then you're exposed to like all this goofy stuff about them. Whereas before, when you didn't know anything, you know, your imagination runs wild and you got like the robot chicken episode where Boba Fett's running around being like, yeah, Solo, I'm cool. <laughs> and he's like owning everybody and everything, and, you know, just, you know, knocking everybody out and stuff. And you're like, I'm the best bounty hunter there is in the galaxy. <laughs> I think that, I think you're talking about Boba Fett. I just had to bring up. I think the thing that killed him for me was in the special edition of Jedi, where at the time we were like, Boba Fett is the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy, cold-hearted. He doesn't care about anybody, and he loves to flirt with the ladies. He's like, what? The, what? Man, he's like sitting there hitting on the dancing girls, and I'm like, that is completely out of character, sir. I I do not approve. Um, <laughs> um, there's this old Star Wars documentary that was made like. You know, I think it was actually made like right as Jedi was being filmed, and uh, George Lucas is talking about you know the scene in the Empire where Luke is hanging upside down and he hears the Wampa and you know he's trying to escape and Lucas goes uh, you know it's sometimes it's better to not show the monster because you you don't know what's coming you just hear something growling and you just get scared. And what I thought was ironic was, you know, later on in the special edition, he would must have been like, eh, let's just show the monster anyway. <laughs> it's like, cookie. Oh. Sell toys. <laughs> I <demand> more toys. <laughs> actually, Brian, I think you had a question. Uh, you want to, was it for Derek? Uh, no, it was actually for everyone. Um, okay. just hearing your favorite scary movies, I was kind of curious, like, uh, maybe as a kid and an, as an adult, what movies actually scared you the most? Like Derek, it might be aliens, but as curious or alien, but it might as curious about what the other guys thought. Like currently, what still scares us, or well, as a kid? Yeah, like once as a kid, and then maybe what's a, something more recent that scared you as an adult? Uh, pretty See, much what I what I said that moment in in Tales from the Crypt that still scares me to that de- this day. So when he first sees his reflection after he, the, the, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but. The guy gets into a car accident. Um, he wakes up like in a grave, I think, and like like I guess like his girlfriend tried to bring him back, but she didn't know like she succeeded. So like the whole the whole uh, story is told from his perspective, and he finally finds the girlfriend, and she's like gone blind, and she's like you know I brought you back, and blah blah blah, and like he like has no clue why. All the people he's met in the story have, like, recoiled in horror from him. And, like, he finally turns and, like, looks at his reflection, and it's, like, horrific. And, like, every time, even to this day, I can't watch that scene. I jump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
What about you, Barber? Um, as a kid, uh, you know, I was like Derek. I was scared of Alien. Um, but as a kid, I was more into the Universal Monsters. Like, I'm a, I'm a huge Universal Monsters fan. So as a kid, I was more afraid of the Wolfman and Dracula than, say, Freddy or Jason. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, actually, here's a question actually kind of ties into mine a little bit, Brian. Uh, my picks for favorite scary movie are probably close running for three, and one of them is actually very cheesy. Uh, the first one is The Omen, which stars a young boy named Damien, who's pretty much the spawn of Satan. And the thing that scares me about it is, is this boy is very young. He's maybe four, five, six, around that age. And they portray him as just completely evil. No redeeming value. He's not like, you know, I'm only evil because uh, cosmic cube something. He's <laughs> he's like, no, I'm, I'm Satan's kid, so I'm going to kill you a lot, and you can't stop me. And that's the scariest thing is he's unstoppable. It's like that's a very, not a real threat to me in, like, my normal life, but that would be the scariest thing to me is something that seems so innocent so evil and unstoppable. It's just like, ah, because, you mean, you know, in your head, you don't want to punch a six-year-old, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, it's really freaky. Um, as far as when I was a kid, though, and, yes, feel free to laugh at me because I I, I really don't have any real uh, defense for it because the later movies were incredibly cheesy and just incredibly horrible. But when the first one came out, it scared the crap out of me because... I've always had a little bit of a fear of dolls when I was a kid, especially life-size ones that were, like, my size. And the first Child's Play scared the crap out of me. <laughs> like, well, no, I, I would I would come to your defense only because the, the I, I, I was never I, – I think by the time I was watching stuff like Child's Play or, or, or Freddy Krueger or something, I wasn't so much watching it to be scared or that I was scared. I was just entertained by the horror genre in general, but – as a kid, when I watched the Twilight Zone episode, The Dummy with Cliff Robertson, I mean, yeah. that that freaked me out because, you know, and it's basically the same concept. It's like something lifeless is, you know, moving its head around and coming to life. And he's like, you made me who I am today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. no, you know, so it's like, you know, and he's a ventriloquist. So it's even creepier because it's like he's got some kind of you know, split personality in the head or who knows what's going on with him. But, you know, so anyway. Yeah, and they got to have, like, a little bit of a creepy vibe to him. I mean, if I look at a Care Bear doll, if it's, like, 20 feet tall, I'm not going to be scared of it. But just the well, Let me child. ask you this. Yeah. Uh, as a child, did the My Buddy commercials, like, freak you out? <laughs> uh, the, the My Buddy one didn't really freak me out, but this, this but is actually... kid sister? Oh, man. Oh, fuck yeah. that bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, actually, I did have... Uh, when I was when I was very young, I think like five or six, you don't really have a lot of control of what your parents like do to your room. They'll like pretty much put whatever whatever they see fit as long as like you get to have a little bit of creativity of your own. I was like, I can have my toys over here, but mom's still gonna come in when you're in like school and put up stuff while you're in kindergarten and like I like this. I think this is adorable. I remember I came home one day and I was like gonna plop on my bed and like, you know, go to sleep. My mom had found these two dolls at a garage sale or whatever. They were two Ronald McDonald dolls, and they were about a foot and a half tall. 
and they had just the black soulless eyes. They had like no pupils, <laughs> just smile on their face of like, you know, we will also eat flesh. <laughs> and to top it off, one of them had an arm, uh, had a hand missing and they're hanging on, on my wall in front of my bed. And I'm like, can't sleep. Clowns will eat me. Can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> And then as I grew older, like I remember one of my fondest memories of becoming a uh, preteen when I was 12 years old. I literally burnt the shit out of one of those things. I was like, yeah, no more sleepless nights for Tony. <laughs> You're the boy next door from Toy Story. I am. I really was. And now um, I've got an image of... Actually... Oh, I'm sorry, Derek. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, now I've, now I've got an image of, in my head of, of like the end of a horror movie after Tony's like you know, totally destroyed the Ronald McDonald that's been tormenting him the whole movie, and he's like, now it's all okay, and then, like, Grimace comes out and, like, eats the whole bed with him on it or something. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, Tony, I'm glad yours was kind of silly as a kid, because mine's, like, way silly. Um, oh, really? Go ahead. Like, when I was, like, probably, like, five or six during the summer, my parents would let me um, stay up late and sleep in the basement but our basement was finished. Um, so I always used to watch shows really late. And, uh, like, honestly, for the longest time, this is the show I was most scared of, like, the thing that scared me the most. I was watching an episode of Twilight Zone, and there's an episode where, like, I don't know if the vacuum is possessed or if it's just evil or what, but the vacuum is, like, alive. And <laughs> it, like, the, the biggest thing it does in the whole show is I think it kills a canary, like, like by sucking it up against the side of the cage and asphyxiating it while the um, people were gone. But that crap scared me, like, so bad when I was little. Like, I didn't watch any more TV at night. Well, every time, you were like you were like the dog when they were, like, they were, like, vacuum around the dog. You'd be like, what the hell is that? What's that? Mom, quit, yeah. quit, quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can be traumatized with when you're that young. Gosh. Oh, man. That is awesome. For the future. Oh, okay. I had to reclaim my uh, my dignity there. It's probably too late for that. But uh, one of the reasons we actually want to talk about scary movies this week, especially our past favorites, is in our little segment we like to call For the Future, we have a new scary movie coming out, one that you probably have been aware of because it is a sequel. Um, actually, it's going to be the first in a uh, second trilogy. It's called Scream 4. It's directed by Wes Craven. Obviously, you know him. He was one of the guys who... Uh, has been around for a long time. He did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. He did a movie called, like, uh, what was it called? Night Stalkers? No. Nightbreed. Yeah, Nightbreed. Um, Nightbreed? I, I know he did Last Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. and he, Yeah, stuff. he's done. He's got a huge resume of, like, stuff. yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, it's written by Kevin Williamson. Um, not really too familiar with his stuff. Um, well, Kevin Kevin Williamson is the guy who wrote the original Scream, and he he okay. he was he was big for a while because he he wrote like all the Dawson's Creek scripts, and then basically like he was basically their hot you know oh he can write teenagers write okay. a script writer or whatever. <laughs> so it's like they had him, but it's like oh, but all his teenagers talk like you know forty year old intellectuals. You know that was <laughs> that was basically the 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 thing of of Kevin Williamson the criticism or whatever. But I, I remember getting into just following him as a writer, just because I was always interested in 
you know, I, I, I watched, you know, Dawson's Creek a whole bunch. And then I also watched like he did that stupid movie. It was like supposed to be killing Miss Tingle, but it ended up being teaching Miss Tingle with Katie Holmes. And he wrote, uh, I'm pretty sure he wrote the script to, um, I know what you did last summer, at least the first one. And yeah, it was kind of in a similar vein of like screaming away. Right. Yeah, so like there's, you know, I, I guess the, the, it, I guess it's supposed to be like street cred because it's like, oh, look, we're releasing a fourth sequel of like a dead franchise, but they're trying <laughs> to say, hey, we've got the original director and the original screenwriter, supposedly. So, I mean, and I don't, I don't even know the way things work in Hollywood now. Like, who knows? Like, you know, it, it, the script's probably been rewritten five or six times and maybe, you know, whatever was left of his original script doesn't even matter anymore, but he'll still get screen credit one way or the other. So, yeah, it's been a while since like the Scream 3 was released. That was back when, uh, what's her face was still on Friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but, like, uh, I actually did like the first three movies, though, because, first of all, they kind of mix it up a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, the teenagers didn't talk exactly like teenagers, but they did. They had a little bit more personality. They weren't just, you know, dumb cheerleader, smart girl, jock, and they're all going to die except for smart girl because she's a virgin. And I kind of like that they switched it up a little bit. The first one I really liked because they had Shaggy from a Scooby-Doo movie. Um, his whole thing was he watched a lot of horror movies. So he always would say like, you know, well, you can't do this because if you do this, you'll die. You know, they actually were referencing the fact that scary movies existed in that universe. Whereas in the, a lot of old horror movies, you know, it was like, this has never happened. And there's also been nothing in fiction. Yeah. Yeah. There's never been anything in fiction to ever say that. And yeah, I I remember thinking stuff that was self-referential like that was, was, you know, it was, cool at the time like i guess you know kevin smith was pretty big and you know just making little references to things that you know you liked having things acknowledged like oh there's a guy who knows about comics or oh there's a guy who knows about the horror conventions of the horror genre or whatever and even in um i think it's i don't know justin might be able to help me out on this but i think it's halloween resurrection there there's a halloween movie where it's playing on the idea of the reality tv show so all the characters go into uh you know a scary house and it's like oh this is the house that michael myers killed a bunch of people in and then like michael myers escapes and he's actually in the house so i I thought it kind of made that movie a little more scarier because it took away the audience's ability to be like oh no you didn't don't go (laughs) with that girl whatever people do it's like they couldn't do that because somebody was already doing that for them you know, because the, everybody was watching a live feed on TV or on the Internet or whatever. So it's like you couldn't, you know, the the things that you, you know, people want to say to diffuse the tension, you know, going, ah, you're dumb. You should leave that room or you should do this. Or if I was there, I'd do this. Like all these people were already sort of saying that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing that was also kind of interesting about the screen movies. Is, well, back then, I don't I'm. Admit I am not up on my teen stars of the day, so I may not know who's in Scream 4 by name. But at the time, they actually had some really big names playing the, you know, victims. In the old days, it was just blonde girl with big tits and then, you know, girl with glasses with still big tits but kind of smaller so we don't forget that the blonde girl has bigger ones. And 
then like random big buff guy who looks like he's going to kick some ass and then he dies. But like <clears throat> in the uh, in the first couple, I mean, you had people like uh, like Jada Pinkett. Uh, you had um, Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Uh, you had uh, I, I, her name's on the tip of my tongue. That's why it's like Drew Barrymore. Courtney Cox, Drew Barrymore. Um, uh, I think yeah, uh, Court, Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell, and David Arquette are supposed to be in this fourth movie. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of uh, interesting because I mean, Courtney and David split, so it's kind of interesting. Oh, okay. It's okay. it's like they they met and you know got together on the set of the first one, and then they kind of fell apart on the set of the last one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like fuck you, Russ Craven. Um, <laughs> but uh. And besides some of the normal conventions that they broke, uh, is this a movie you guys are actually looking forward to, or just nah, whatever? Yeah, I'm definitely gonna try and see it Friday when it comes out. Um, like I have really good, you know, like middle school and high school memories of the first two movies. Like I, I didn't see the third movie until just a few weeks ago, but you know, I have really fond memories of the first two movies. I thought they were really good movies, so I'm really working forward to uh, to watching this one. I just, I just hope they don't. You know, take one of the three surviving characters and you know make one of them the killer, or you know kill off one of them. But no, no Superboy it. priming for for Courtney Cox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think I know what Justin's talking about, and it is on the trailer, so it's widely seen. There is like one scene where Courtney Cox is walking around a corner and she pulls off like the ghost face mask, but it doesn't show her with a knife or like you know she doesn't look guilty. She might just be screwing with people. So right. yeah. So. What about the rest of you guys? You guys interested or really couldn't care less? Yeah, I've only seen the first one, so I never saw two or three. So you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I know don't really carry their way. I know I've seen all the the movies, but it's been so long. Like I, I, I know I probably don't have to have seen them, but I feel like if I did watch the fourth movie, I kind of feel like even though I know I didn't really care for the second or third movie that much, like I, I kind of feel like wanting to rewatch those before I watch the fourth one in a weird way. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know that I'd run out and go watch in the theater, but who knows? Maybe if, when it comes out on, um, you know, on DVD in a couple months, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go rent the other movies or whatever, or something like that. Have like a little night of scream. Yeah. Like, yeah. Something like that. What about you, Brian? Uh, kind of apathetic. About, I'm about halfway between, uh, and, uh, wanting to see it. The Scream movies don't actually bother me as far as their scariness or anything. They're they're all right when I see them on TV or whatever. But um, kind of like Derek, I doubt I'd see it in the theater. But if I'm bored some night and I want to watch a somewhat thrilling movie, I'll probably pick it up. Yeah, I have to I have to agree with you and Derek. I, I'm probably going to DVD it. Not really jazzed to see it, but it'll probably be watchable. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be something so terrible it'll ruin Scream forever because. <laughs> Scream 3 almost did that anyway. Yeah, all right. Yeah, uh, Jay and Silent Bob ruined Scream 3 forever. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll crowd the tears of frustration for that. Yeah, that was awesome, though. <laughs> like, Brenda? Dick. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we got one pro, one, yeah, kind of, and three DVDs. So I would say, yeah, go check it out. I mean, you might like it, you might not, but nobody's seeming to be incredibly jazzed about it except for Justin. I was going to say, is it at least not a movie that's going to be released in 3D, or is it in 3D everywhere or whatever? I don't think I've seen any 3D commercials for it. Have you guys? Yeah. That, that's kind of refreshing. I, maybe I should just go watch it in the theater just because of that. 
Yeah, I don't think it's in 3D at all. Which Maybe it's I'm going gonna... to be in 4D. <laughs> <laughs> I can see into your dimension. Is that like you put on the glasses and somebody like you know hits you and breathes in your ear? <laughs> That'd probably be someone like stabs you or something with a rubber knife. <laughs> Ow, <laughs> that's that's kind of sharp. <laughs> oh. Well, as far as maybe being not so much into it, maybe being a lot into it, we have come to one of the – what has grown to be one of my favorite parts of the uh, Fan Holes podcast. What is awesome this week in your world? Basically, this is just something that you just really dig right now. Um, we'll just go ahead and just go off and – hey, Mike, what, what do you think is really rocking this week? Oh, it's not anything like a physical, but like I'd, I'd just like to uh, mention that um, – uh, Brian posted this on uh, Bot Talk recently, but uh, uh, a recent interview with Simon Furman uh, noted probably the most known, well-known uh, comic book writer for Transformers. Uh, he mentioned like he wouldn't mind like going back and finishing like or continuing his Marvel storylines. Well, apparently, like someone saw that and like started ran running with it and started a petition online to get like IDW to like do exactly that, like get Furman writing a sort of Transformers, like, forever book, because they're basically doing it with Larry Hama on G.I. Joe right now, so they might as well, you know, go go all in and have Furman, like, finish up or continue the uh, Marvel storylines. And uh, the petition's doing really well. It's got over a 1,000 signatures so far. Um, a lot of Transformers pros have signed it, or people claiming to be them. Uh, there's a signature from uh, Bob Budiansky on it. I don't know if it's really him, but, you know, that's kind of cool. But I just thought that was really cool that there's still, like, so much support for, you know, like, seeing, like, the old uh, return to the old Marvel continuity. So I thought that was really cool. I was actually really glad that you posted that, Mike. Um, I think I, I actually posted in response to it on Bot Talk. That's how I still feel that... Um, that's about the only thing that would get me back into buying Transformers ongoing right now. Yeah, Just same here. Back. I will say this. I noticed the petition came up online uh, shortly after our IDW rant on Fanhole's podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I blame all that on Mr. Furman because of his creative ability. And, yeah, he's he has lent a lot to the Transformers mythos. That is totally by just his virtue of being a really cool guy. Um, yeah, if you, have, you give out the address so people, more people can go and sign it, because I really want it to happen. Yeah, all right. Uh, just go to uh, – you can look it up on the blog, but it's on http uh, www.petitiononline.com, tf8, 1idw, uh, backslash petition.html. We'll put it up on the blog so you can get a better link, but uh, that's where it's at, petition online. Please sign. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you love Transformers, you'll sign it. Or if not, Justin will come to your house with tacos and a whole bottle of Jägermeister. Um, I can I can I can understand like how IDW could say like no, we're not going to be doing this because it's kind of you know undermining to their own continuity, which they're trying so hard to fix but not quite getting it right now. But um, you know, it, it could happen. I mean, like I said, they just did it with GI Joe, so yeah. Where where would you guys like to see them go with that? I mean, I, I saw the thread like everybody else, but I just kind of thought, okay, so the last Autobot showed up and everybody's like nucleoned or whatever, and like you know, I'm I'm to me, I'm just maybe I'm not being imaginative enough, but I'm like, is it going to be one of because the, the GI Joe thing was weird to me because I I thought I would be really hyped for it, 
And then I read like an issue of it and it read just like the G.I. Joe Renegades A-Team shenanigans. And I was kind of like disappointed with that direction for, you know, basically it's like, oh, it's 10 years later and Cobra's like infiltrated its way into everything, including the U.S. government. And, you know, Cobra is basically the crappy, overweight, you know, uh, revolver-owning uh, Americans with, you know, whatever the Cobra anagram is, you know, like something dumb. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, you know, like, okay, great. So this is what this is going to be about. And I just kind of, you know, didn't want to keep reading it. But I, I was just wondering what you guys would hope to see from a, a G1 Marvel continuation. Like, do you want it to carry over from the G2 comic? Do you want it to carry over from right after issue 80 and it's like here's issue 81 and this is what happens right after or are you worried it's going to be something like 10 years later from issue 80 and it's like oh now everything's different it may as well be another idw reboot or whatever he oh. sort of closed out g2 with um you know i got it off the web but they continued the storyline uh what's it called mike that when war world and oh, war Align alignment or yeah well, alignment yeah. I pulled that offline, and that kind of finishes off G2. I think, personally, I'd rather have it, you know, I don't want to jump, like, ten years down the road from G1, but, uh... Um, I, I was gonna say, um, I it would be a bummer. I, I think if it did happen, he would just ditch G2. Um, it would be a bummer, since I like G2, but then again, you know, I'd like to see what his... Because Furman has said he's had plans for, like, issue 81 and beyond for a long time, but, like, he just didn't get to do them. Like, he was going to explore, like, the effects of Nucleon on everyone, and, like, you know, people were going to... Some people were going to... It would react negatively with them. Like, some people were going to go insane, and, like, really, like, cool stuff he he said... Uh, but I don't know how much he would change that up now if he got to, you know, continue, so. Yeah, that, that's what I kind of wonder, like, what if there was, like, an edict, like, I know editors are probably, like, non-existent today or whatever, but I, I just wonder, like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody sat him down and went, oh, here's what Hasbro made from, like, 1991 <laughs> till 2008, like, make sure you include these generic, like, you know, or I, I don't even want to call them generic, but, like. You know, what, what if he had to follow the product catalog that was long dead and you were just like, oh, that's cool. Here's, you know, it's like, here's, uh, you know, Repugnus is making a comeback because he's got a new mode or, you know, whatever the hell, you know, they released, you know. Hey, you, hey, you, hey, you know, don't you know, knock on Repugnus. Repugnus <laughs> can see No, I'm just saying, like, you see a bunch of micromaster bases or whatever running around beating each other up. You right, know, like, like, hey. <laughs> you know. Yeah, don't dish micromasters. Actually, I was going to say, it'd be interesting if the editorial edict was something like, um, you know, the, the Nucleon like negative effects has to be they turn into like bayformer faces. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> that was one of the things I was kind of curious about because uh, even in the comics that Furman wrote for like the new G1 universe, as far as infiltration wise, they had like certain aspects like you'd have your Gestalt members, but some of them wouldn't be Gestalt yet. You know, oh, I'm sorry, Gestalt is too smart of a term as combiners. Um, you would have sophisticated. I know, right? So fancy, smancy. Um, <laughs> they had like pretenders, but they weren't really like the pretenders we knew. They weren't humans or monsters. They were just advanced, you know, outer shells. And I was wondering if maybe Hasbro would shy away from that because some of the stuff in G1, 
I love it. Nostalgia glasses on full. You know, I thought it was kind of funny and cute. But some of it was kind of goofy, you know. I mean, I don't know if the Hasbro would be like, yeah, we really don't want you, you know. Hey, hey, my name on Bot Talk is Chainclaw. They're like, I don't really want, like, a bear running around. And, you know, <laughs> we don't really want Monstructor. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, I mean, in, they, he is actually one of the only ones who was a combiner in uh, IDW. Uh, but, it, it, yeah, it makes me wonder where they would go with that. But on the other hand, it's been said a lot by other people, not just me. Furman is really good at making a universe. He makes a very epic feel come to these kind of comics. You know, I remember, like, the Matrix quest, where all this action took place on different worlds and... It wasn't just Earth. It wasn't just Cybertron. It wasn't just back to Earth, you know? I like the whole idea of the Transformers are space-faring, super-advanced robots. They can go pretty much damn where anywhere they want, and a lot of stories should take them there. I think there should be more of a grander scheme to it than just, uh, you know, Spike killed Scrapper with a pencil, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> just I, I, I'm more curious about where it would go. I think the most eager thing I would be awaiting is if they actually did just let him run free and really develop characters that maybe IDW just did not kind of push on him. Cause I kind of got that from infiltration. There's a lot of characters that he got to do stuff with, but there's also kind of a lot of characters. They're like, you must, you know, make sure that Grimlock is awesome and he will be, you know, badass and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. It's, it's very give and take. I don't know how the editors are. I don't know how Simon himself approached things. But that's the thing right now. That's the bottom line. It makes me excited. I want to see what he'll do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's probably about the best thing I can say about that. Um, His worst but, has to be better than the current's best, I would think. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I'd say even mediocre Furman is better than what we're getting currently. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, excellent, awesome thing. Apparently everybody was really digging that. Uh, what about you, Justin? What's kind of cool over there in your neck of the woods? Well, believe it or not, my cool thing is not a book this week. Gasp! I know. Um, my cool thing is uh, Saga of the Swamp Thing, book one, um, which is a happy little coincidence given the latest spoilers with uh, Brightest Day. I've always been a big fan of Swamp Thing. Like I grew up with the movies, and I grew up with the cartoon. I had a whole bunch of the toys. The but first it, uh, Swamp Thing movie is a Wes Craven movie, by the way, just to yeah, tie it back. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as the comics went, like when when I was a kid and would try and get into them, I guess they just kind of they just kind of went over my head. I guess they were a little bit too much for my little seven eight year old brain. So uh, really, I've only had time to sit down and read the first two issues in this uh, collection, but uh, I really dig it so far. Cool. Which is it is the Alan Moore one, right? Yeah. 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 It starts with uh, issue twenty, which is the first uh, Alan Moore issue. Excellent. Um. What about you, uh, Brian? What's uh, the awesome thing for this week? Um, I actually had a really busy week, so I didn't get to do a whole lot of awesome things this week. But one thing we did do on a rainy day, um, as we were driving to the park to take my daughter to play, it started raining. So uh, our backup plan was to go to the library. Um, I was wandering around, and I came across um, the book 2012 Second Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke. And I've never actually read it. Um, I own, like, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I want it on, like, DVD and Blu-ray. Um, but I'm, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed the book. I started reading it there while my daughter was playing, and I ended up checking it out. But um, it's a really quick read. It's a page-turner. You want to keep going and going and going. And that surprised me because the movie, although I enjoy it, 
like I can really only watch it maybe like once every five years because like some parts are so boring. Like yeah. I just can't handle it. We're gonna, walk, we're gonna walk around the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Or we're gonna watch a spaceship and you can listen to orchestral music for fifteen minutes in the docks. But um. So it really surprised me that the book was, like, so engrossing and such a page-turner. So I've been really impressed with it, and I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Cool, cool. Um, awesome. It's always, always nice to have, like, a throwback to a classic. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Derek, what about you? What's uh, really jamming on your frequencies? Man, it's hard to come up with, like, different ways to say this. <laughs> the thing that I thought was pretty awesome this week was... Thor and Loki Blood Brothers, the motion comic. It's based on a, uh, not old, but, but, you know, in this, in this decade, uh, Loki miniseries. And it's really, I, I like the motion comics more and more when I see them. I know people still sometimes rag on them. I know originally I was kind of very, uh, down on motion comics because I didn't like all the pop-up balloons and kind of goofy conventions that, that most motion comics have, but the most recent ones, they've kind of eliminated that. And as long as they have really good voice acting and, and they capture the art style of the original work, you know, the original comic, I, I find them pretty entertaining. And this one is really, really good because the voice acting is great. I think, um, you know, I, I don't think it's an easy thing to do to, have all the people run around and, you know, basically speak in faux Shakespeare, you know, as Guardian, you know, like kind of <laughs> stuff, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, the people that they got to pull it off, it's not like, I, I, you know, not to knock the Astonishing X-Men motion comic, but I don't think the person they got to play Emma Frost was all that great. And I think <laughs> the people that they got here, you could tell, like, they're all well-trained you know, British actors doing Loki and and um, Thor and Sif and Balder and so I mean I you know I I just I, I I'm pretty entertained by it and and I like how the art style is being captured as well so that's my awesome thing for for this week. Oh, uh, is it got like an easy link to throw out there for people who might want to check it out? Uh, I think it's on like Xbox and iTunes, and you know it's one of those you know download right now. Oh, okay. It's not, a, it's not out on. Does it DVD cost yet. to download it on like Xbox and stuff? It probably does. Like I, I, I'm assuming it's like like the, the the if it's on. I haven't looked on um to see what it. You know, I I, I don't know what the point cost ratio is. You know, so I don't. Yeah, know I think it's probably like five point. bucks. I. I downloaded the uh, Iron Man Extremis, one of their episodes, and it was like five bucks, I think. The only thing I've seen, like, motion comic-wise has been, like, the Nova stuff, and that was free, but are you, is what you're talking about, like, a really long version of that? Yeah, I think I think the Nova thing that you saw was, like, a contest winner of some kind. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know what that turned into or whatever, because I, I remember Marvel had a contest where it was – do an issue of Nova from Annihilation, and then do they? They did this one Ed McGuinness uh, backstory where it was, you know, it was basically a retread of when Hulk and Wendigo and Wolverine met, and so they they made fan motion comics based on that. I, I think it was like some kind of contest to win a position making motion comics for Marvel or something. I, I don't know exactly what what became of that, but the the main big motion comics they've had. The, of the most recent ones, 
Like, DC had Jonah Hex, they had Batman Black and White, and they had Superman Red Sun, I think, were some of the most recent DC ones that were not, you know, they didn't have all the pop-up balloons and kind of annoying. Like, the last annoying motion comic I watched was the one for Watchmen, because it was one voice actor doing all the voices. (laughs) Yeah. He was a good actor. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I'm not knocking the guy, but it's just like, you know... It'd be like me doing every single voice in Watchmen. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, you know, you don't mind listening to my voice and this and that, but all of a sudden when you start doing, like, the Silk Spectre, you're like, okay, dude, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you can pay money to get, like, a couple other people to do, you know, some of the women voices or whatever. Um, no but... You know you want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Bend over this pool table now. No. Um, so, yeah, that's basically how that went down. And and uh, for the Marvel stuff, the, some of the most recent stuff has been Astonishing X-Men, the Josh Whedon arc, and Iron Man Extremis, like Mike brought up, which worked really, really well, actually, given the art style. Like, it kind of has that computery generated feel to even the comic book. Um and so I think that translated really well into the, the motion comic. And then the, the most recent thing, I guess, you know, it's tying into the Thor movie, but, you know, this Thor and Loki Blood Brothers, which is, it's a, it's a mini series that's really told from Loki's point of view, which is kind of interesting because everything's very sort of skewed. No, what one was terrible was the Spider-Woman one. Yeah, yeah, that that didn't have the pop-up balloons, but yeah, that, that well, but that thing was like were, awful. We're, we're hating on Bendis, so I mean, that, there's a there's a solo book that didn't work because it's his his pet favorite character, and it just kind of, and then it had the like that weak representation of the Thunderbolts in it too. I thought. Yeah. I don't know when you're talking about like t- told from like Loki's point of view, which I mean it does sound awesome. I mean I just I'm naturally always thinking of like silly ideas. Just keep picturing like panel after panel of like, God, I wish they knew how heavy this damn crown was. <laughs> I want to go on to, I guess, my uh, awesome thing of the week. Uh, I'm sometimes behind the times, I admit. Not always on current trends. There was a show on AMC a couple months back, maybe even longer, that was called The Walking Dead. And it just recently, not too long ago, came out on DVD. I've never really been a big zombie fan. I thought they were kind of cool, but they kind of got played out to me, especially like with Marvel zombies and stuff. Cool idea. They seem to be kind of running it into the ground. However, this... Uh, series is based on a Robert Robert Kirkman uh, book, and basically it kind of, it doesn't so much change zombies as it makes it, you know, more enjoyable with characterization. A lot of zombie movies have the main characters not really have be that in-depth, you know? And this series does a really good job of making you care about these people, and when they die, you're like, I don't know, it just, you're like, oh, crap, I didn't really see them, you know, biting it that way, you know, like, this. it's very good at how they do stuff. Um, I don't know, it just really impressed me. I, like I said, just from the standpoint of somebody who's not a zombie fan, seeing a zombie TV series, which I'm sure is really hard, it's a six-episode uh, season one series, um, hopefully season two is coming out really soon, and I'm just... Really looking forward to it uh, as far as season two. Season one impressed me, and you guys, I would totally suggest it if you haven't seen it yet. I think Derek already said he's seen it, so. Yeah, I yeah. did too. Very, very good. I've seen it. Yeah. I still yeah. suggest the books over the show, but the show is good. 
yeah, like I said, sometimes I'm a little bit behind the times, but it's out on DVD, so you can get them all in one shot. Uh, right now, guys, I think we uh, pretty much have uh, gone through it tonight. I would like to mention one thing. I'm a little sad. <clears throat> we didn't get any e- emails this week. Come on, guys. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, love questions, love comments. You can just hit us up at uh, fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, guys, it looks like it's kind of time to wrap it up. Everybody's getting a little sleepy here. So from Tony, uh, Chainclaw, and Brian Breakdown, Derek WC, Derek Underwing, Mike, Justin Grimlock. We'd like to hope you'll come listen to us again, and you have a wonderful week. Uh Uh-oh, the professor getting a little cranky. Jim is getting a little sleepy, Cher.